This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Carpe Diem with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. She pulled my hair with my lipstick on, in a glass of purple dry. so much for joining me or rejoining me here on this lovely Friday morning. I am super excited and very grateful to have my guest today, Sandy Horn from The Spoons. Lovely intro. Everybody recognizes that song. And so what I'm going to do before I turn it over to Unscripted Dialogue, as I always do with my guest, I'm just for the sake of the fact that this show reaches 145 countries, 220 TV, radio, terrestrial satellites, I'm just going to plug a little bit about uh, Sandy, a little bit of her bio before turning it over, like I said, to unscripted dialogue. So formed in 1980, Gordon Depp and Sandy Horn would soon make spoons a different kind of household word. They would help define the sound of pop and new wave in the 80s with hits including Nova Heart, Romantic Traffic, Old Emotions, and Tell No Lies. Their album, Areas and Symphonies, would go on to be named one of the 20 most influential albums of the 80s by the Chart Magazine, and their song, Nova Heart, was recently included in Bob Mesro's book, The Top 100 Canadian Singles. Not bad for a bunch of kids from Burlington, Ontario. Ontario. Their first album, Stick Figure Neighborhood, was recorded in 1981 at Grant Avenue Studios in Hamilton, Ontario, with a then-unknown engineer by the name of Daniel Lamois. The album garnered rave press reviews and reached number one on college radio. 
But it wouldn't be until the release of their song Nova Heart, produced by John Punter of Roxy Music and Brian Ferry fame, that the Spoons became a household name. The Arias and Symphonies album, recorded at George Martin's famous Air Studios in London, England, solidified the Spoons' presence on the new wave music front. With the commercial radio success that followed, the band saw themselves opening up for such acts as The Police, Culture Club, and Simple Minds. A little TV show called Much Music had also just been launched, and the Young Spoons were tailor-made for a whole new video-driven generation. In fact, the very first episode of the show began with, Welcome to Much Music. Coming up, we have brand new videos by Duran Duran, Howard Jones, and the Spoons. A new era was launched with those words. In 1983, Ready Records brought on Nile Rodgers, Sheik, Dave Bowie, Madonna, and most recently, Daft Punk's Get Lucky to produce their follow-up album, Talk Back. More radio hits emerged, including Romantic Traffic, Old Emotions, and Tell No Lines. The Spoons continued to build their fan base around the world. The video for Romantic Traffic, shot in the subways of Toronto, remains as one of the most iconic Canadian videos of all time. A soundtrack for Ron Mann's movie, Listen to the City, and two more studio albums followed. Under the wing of Rush's manager, Ray Daniels, the Spoons recorded the Bridges Over Borders and Vertigo Tango albums on Anthem Records. The resulting singles, Bridges Over Borders, Be Alone Tonight, Rodeo, When Time Turns Around, and Waterline, kept the band making videos and touring until the end of the 80s. The the decade was winding down as a new wave of music called grunge was taking the world by storm. A lot of people believed that this would mark the end for all things 80s, but they couldn't have been more wrong. Something that would soon be known as the retro 80s movement was looming just around the corner. The greatest hits package, Collectible Spoons, was released in 1994 on MCA Universal Music and led to one of the band's most successful tours ever. The old fans were hungry for the music they grew up on, and new ones were eager to give the 80s a second listen. Spoon songs were being played more frequently as many radio stations featured all 80s shows. A new offshoot of Much Music called Much More Music revived all the old 80s videos. The unthinkable was happening. When the retro phenomenon showed no signs of stopping, a new album seemed like the next logical step. In 2010, Gordon and Sandy released Static and Transmission, produced by Jeff Carter, their first collection of new songs in over two decades. Although still undeniably spoons, the single You Light Up proved that the band remained inexplicably current. In fact, John Sakamoto of the Toronto Star included it in his prestigious anti-hit list the week of its release, usually reserved for up-and-coming new artists. Not bad for a band that had been around for 30 years. In 2012, Sparks Music and Ready Records celebrated the 30th anniversary of one of the band's most successful releases with a special Nova Heart anniversary EP. The package contained the quintessential 1982 album cut, two remixes including the Electronica dubstep Singularity Mix, a rare demo recording from 1981, and a live recording mixed by John Punter at Barry Moore's in Ottawa in 1982. A special 30th anniversary edition of the Arias and Symphonies album followed, released by Sparks Ready Records Universal Music, complete with extensive liner notes, historical photos, and live tracks. It also saw the reunion after 26 years of the original band lineup for an incredible sold-out release party in Toronto. In 2013, the Spoons won the Music Express magazine Back in the Spotlight Award, and a remastered version of their debut album, Stick Figure Neighborhood, was released. The band toured Western Canada in May of 2014 and returned to perform in southern Ontario this summer. In the fall, Spoons released a 30th anniversary CD of their hits Romantic Traffic and Tell No Lies, including the rare previously unreleased song Candy Apple, the song 
song Sundown and Take Me Walking from 1984's Listen to the City movie soundtrack and a new electronic remix of Romantic Traffic called Traffic Jam. Gordon has also been very busy writing a book on Spoon's story titled Spoon Fed, released this fall through Manor House Publishing. Uh, the retro 80s movement, now almost a decade old, shows no signs of slowing down, not one bit. And as far as Sandy and Gord and a lot of fans are concerned, that is a very good thing indeed. Wow, Sandy, hello. <laughs> oh, hello. my God, what a repertoire. That's amazing. <laughs> That's wow, amazing. I learned a lot about myself. <laughs> yeah, it always sounds different when it's being told back to you, right? Exactly. But, um, but I just want to say to the listeners, I, I had the privilege and the opportunity and the, the great pleasure of meeting you and Gord uh, in the VIP lounge of one of the events uh, that you held in Niagara Falls last summer, which Gord had graciously invited me to. And uh, I'd had him on radio and, of course, your former band member and friend for life, uh, Rob Proust. So, I mean, the synergy between all of you is amazing. And it was just such a pleasure to meet with you and uh, and to swap books with Gordon. So. I just want to say welcome to the show. I think you're phenomenal and uh, you're kick-ass and, uh, you know, and I'm all always about women empowering other women. And for you to have been in a predominantly male band, I mean, that speaks volumes for your backbone and your inner strength and uh, just your resiliency as a woman. So I just want to say for what you've done for pioneering and and uh, leading all other women, whether it be musically related or not, but taking a stand and stepping up and owning the stage, I want to say thank you. Good for you. Well, thank you. It wasn't something I did intentionally. It just sort of happened. Um, I hadn't in... I knew ever since I was about five years of age I was going to be on the stage, but I didn't know how. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like I went, oh, it's going to be bass, and I'm going to be a bass player. It was kind of by accident because um, mm-hmm. I met Gord in high school and with two acoustic guitars on the bus. Uh, he said, here, play these root notes, which were the four lower strings of the acoustic guitar, which is similar to the bass. And I started playing bass, and he said, we need a bass player in, in our cover band we had going at the time called Impulse. And I, he said, uh, do you want to play bass? And I said, oh, I'll have to ask my dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how it happened. And, and um, did I take some few punches from the music industry for being female and being called token? And, I mean, one, one line somebody gave me one time was, she's more than just a Tootsie Roll. She's a Tootsie Roll that plays bass. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I had to do a lot of proving, but the best rewarding part is when I have both male and females come up to me and saying you were a huge influence uh, without you doing it I wouldn't have had the courage to step forward and do it so that part you know well you did something you know in the music industry which is nice excellent and so at what point within your career then Sandy did you come to realize that um, uh you know, that you felt that you had morphed into that level of where you didn't need validation. It didn't matter what other people thought, critics, supporters, otherwise. You knew you were top of your game and you knew that you were honoring yourself. Uh, when did that solidify for you? Probably wasn't really strong until we got to the Bridges Over Borders album because at that point now I had to learn how to slap bass, you know, mm. uh, a different technique because the songs required a, you know, a little more rockier sound to it. And that's when people were going, well, ah, she can actually play bass. You know, up until then, they'd watch me on stage, and I don't know what they were thinking I was doing up there. <laughs> right. 
some of the algorithm symphonies uh, and um, talkback uh, bass lines are actually more intense than the Bridges Over Borders, but somehow they thought that was it. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, I have to say somebody who has seen you live performing, I mean, you've got it going on, you know, like, and uh, just the synergy between all of you on stage. And I mean, certainly you've been together as a band for forever. And I know that you've had some changes within membership of the band, you and Gord being the constant, but uh yeah. You know, in terms of the body language, in terms of uh, connecting with one another, reading each other well, following each other instrumentally, I mean, you guys got that down pat. Just phenomenal energy. Yeah, we've got a really good drummer. His name's Chris McNeil. Um, he's a good rhythm section with me. Uh, he also plays with Alan Frew and Glass Tiger. is his other really known band that he plays with. Um, so we have to work our schedules kind of around that. And, in fact, we actually have a show with Alan Frew at the CNE August 25th. And uh, we're going to double bill with him. Wonderful. Yeah, so That's Chris great. gets to play twice that day. <laughs> Yay, Chris. <laughs> and then on keys, we've got an amazing young guy. Everybody thinks it's Gord's son, but it's not. And his name's Casey MQ. And he's, I think he's 24 right now. I think he just turned 24. But he's amazing. He's like Rob was back in the day. And, in fact, when he first joined up with the band, he went to New York and met up with Rob for and he showed him some of the intricacies of the sounds that we use. So it's been good. And then a couple of times Rob's been up and he's been up and on stage and played with us for the 30th anniversaries. And we've had both keyboard players, Casey and, and Rob, on stage. So it's dual keyboards. It's been great. Beautiful. And so how does a band, you know, because everything looks so smooth to the public in terms of, you know, professionally personifying that. But, you know, for anybody who's been in business and had a band for as long as you have, I imagine, you know, with changes of uh, members of the band and whatever personal circumstances or things behind the scenes that might be occurring in each of the members' individual lives, how do you keep that fluid? How do you keep that all going so as to keep the professional band together and, and building momentum increasingly? Well, basically, you leave anything, any garbage behind before you hit the stage, and you just you just unify as the band. And um, mm-hmm. musicians, I, I think, generally tend to do that. Um, we just put everything aside, and if we have to go back and think about what's going on in our lives, it'll be after we're done performing. And you just mm-hmm. put it aside, and you just go. And everything's focused on um, the songs and the band and the energy and the cues, everything. Fantastic. And, you know, do you still get the same feeling when you take the stage as perhaps the first time you took the stage? Like, does it change? Uh, you know, is it something that you grow into? It just becomes like brushing your teeth? Like, how do you, how do you explain that to people, what that feeling is for you? It's always exciting. There's always a sense of nervousness. I mean, it's not as strong as it was when I first started because obviously your confidence level is a lot higher. Um, after you've been doing it for over 30 years. <laughs> oh, you were Absolutely. Hope, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's, uh, you know, times where, you know, you'll draw a blank and you'll be in the middle of a song and going, oh, that's my next part. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> your hands naturally just do it, but then if you suddenly think about it, it's gone. Right. Um, a show with Platinum Blonde and, at London Music Hall just uh, last um uh, a week ago today and uh first song in was Arias and Symphonies and Gordon messed up and 
we were looking at him like, you've got to go another two bars, so you're just going to have to throw some extra lyrics in there because we're not ready to go to that next section yet, and you're going to really mess things up. And Chris and I turned around, and I thought I was going to, excuse myself, pee myself. I was laughing so hard. Uh huh. And then Gore doesn't like that because then I'm laughing, and then he, he loses concentration. <laughs> Well, and I'm sure he loves it even more that you just publicized that to 145 countries. <laughs> Go team! Anyway. So, um, so when people ask you, because I'm sure you know you've been interviewed extensively, when people ask you the question, Sandy, what would you deem to be, for whatever the reason, your favorite song? Is that comparable to you? Like people asking you. If you have more than one child, who's your favorite child? Or if you have more than one sibling, who's your favorite sibling? Like, is that something you can even answer? Um, there's, yeah, I can because um, certain songs just never lose their energy and their life. For example, mm-hmm. Nova Heart. Um, we have two versions that we perform live now. We have the original, and then we have the dubstep uh, heavy. It's not real dubstep. It's got dubstep uh, essence to it. Um, and the power behind both of those is just incredible. And for someone who has never heard the dubstep, we normally would throw the old Nova Heart in the middle of the set. So everyone thinks we've played all our songs. And then we end the set with the new version of Nova Heart. And then, and, you know, the huge holes that happen in the dubstep where it goes, do, 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 do. And then <laughs> pops right into the song. And you just suddenly see the audience go, wow. <laughs> Awesome. Really neat. And then, of course, you know, songs like Old Emotion and Romantic Traffic, when the audience sing, sings back to you, the energy of you putting out to them and then, um, you know, them singing back to you. It's just a, it's a two way street, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so as a young girl, having grown up and, you know, regardless of the circumstances of how you came to form your band, you know, everybody loves music, you know, whether you're actually at that point a musician or not, everybody is moved and transformed by music. So, you know, were you, were you kind of looking at who predominantly was big to you? Who was making a statement outside of whether their music was recognizable, their name was recognizable? Was there somebody in the female realm who spoke to you and you thought, wow, this person's got it going on and they're a bit of a forerunner here and they're a little bit, you know, very unique, sending a great message here. Was there somebody who spoke to you that way in the industry? Well, it, it happened to me mostly in my earlier years. Um, I was fascinated with Judy Garland mm-hmm. um, and Wizard of Oz, and I would watch it every year because at that time it would come on usually around Easter time, and I'd be constantly looking for when it was coming again so I could see Judy. And uh, I figured, you know, she's so young, and she sang so beautifully that I wanted to do what she was doing. And then I used to watch all the old Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland, the black and white um, MGM uh, half hour shows they had going and uh, she just influenced me so much that that's when I knew I wanted to be on stage I wanted to do what she's doing how I was going to do it I didn't know <laughs> well then, you know and that's what I'm saying sorry no I was just going to say you know when you feel when you feel a calling to do something you don't question the how the how yeah. shows up you know yeah. Exactly. And then later on, um, Stanley Clark as a bass player, um, I got to see him in the 80s. He had a cocktail uh, lounge in um, Niagara Falls, New York, and he was right in front of me. Like the bass was standing right in front of me. Like I was just like, ah. <laughs> I don't know. And then Mick Karn from Japan, amazing bass player. He influenced me quite a bit. 
Um, as far as female artists, I, I have to go back to Judy. That was my first, you know, go. And then, of course, I saw um, um, Heart, and I oh. love them. Yeah, the Wilson girls, they're really strong women as well. Absolutely, they are. Excellent. And so, you know, do you oftentimes get to partner with other women musicians? Um, from time to time, I have. Um, I actually formed an all-girl band back in the early um, 2000, like late 90s, uh, early 2000s. And it was kind of like an Enya-ish, oh. part harmony. Uh, had broke cello myself on acoustic guitar and sometimes bass and a pianist and three vocals. Um, I'll be quite honest with you. It's, I find it very difficult to work with women. <laughs> Um, Maybe because I've always worked with guys. I don't know. I just, the, um, uh, yeah, the feminine energy that can be overpowering sometimes was just a little much for me, so. Yeah. No, and you know what? It's funny you say that, Sandy, because I can appreciate that having worked in women's shelters, there's different forms of, you know, feminism, and everybody's got their own approach, grassroots, liberal, radical. I totally get it. I get it. So, and the other thing, the other thing I do do that I do partner up with right now is uh, a West Coast Simpson elder female named Shannon Thunderbird who lives in Toronto now, and we work in schools doing um, Indigenous music programming. Oh, lovely! So we go in with the hand drums and we teach the the kids about the drum, the hand drum, what it means to the First Nations people, and uh, a few other teachings, and we teach some songs and chanting. So that's quite rewarding as well. Absolutely. Beautiful work, Sandy. And so, you know, a lot of people would only know you based on uh, your music and stage presence. But, you know, is there something that you would be willing to share with us, uh, you know, that might surprise people about who the real Sandy Horn is outside of the career? Oh, geez. <laughs> Let me see. Um, I'm a mother of two children that I'm very, very proud of. Um, I like helping people out. Um, I got a Women of Distinction Award in Guelph for community services that I do. Wonderful. Yeah. Excellent. And so what a role model you are for your, your children. You said two girls? No, two I have children. a son and a daughter. Son and a daughter. One and my daughter's children. currently going through to be nur- in a nurse, like to be a nurse or a nurse practitioner. So. A nurse. A nurse. <laughs> going to be a nurse. <laughs> Well, that's good, proud mama. Yeah. Amazing. And so, you know, how do you keep up with the grind of the tour? Like, I'm sure it's probably peaks and valleys at different times, uh, even though you're still going consistently strong. How do you keep yourself uh, rejuvenated? How do you keep yourself still feeling passionate about things? Um, well, I, I meditate, and I also do uh, yoga, different forms of yoga. Uh, I really enjoy, especially at this time of year, hot yoga. <laughs> <laughs> Bring on the sweat. Yeah, bring on the heat. I'm freezing. Um, bring so on I the vertigo. Yeah, I use that. I you know go as often as I can to uh, balance myself that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that the, my kids are grown, they're like 22 and 20. You know, it's not as difficult as it used to be. I used to have to get someone to come and stay at the house with the kids while I went away. So now I don't have to do that anymore because they they've gone away. <laughs> empty nest a bit a little bit yeah 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 well good for you and and are you currently working on any new material you and in, in the band 
Anything yes, actually, um, I was just with Gord the other day. We were looking at breaking down all the tunes to do it acoustically, so there'll be yet another formation of how you can hear the band. And a lot of the songs broken down to acoustic really sound different. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to record that and do an acoustic album, hopefully shortly. Fantastic. And do you want to explain for Sandy, because people just really hear the finished product, you know, it's like with anything people do, whether it be a painting, writing a book, you know, having a song, you know, can you explain to people a little bit, including timelines, what's involved in that? What's the process for producing something? Oh, geez. Well, some songs, uh, for example, Light Up, um, We the recording was done here at my place. I had to turn my... Uh, garage into a recording studio and so the whole thing was recorded here and um, while Jeff was tweaking other songs and patching stuff together, uh, Gord and I came into the living room of my house and we just were goofing around and Light Up was written up, written probably in about 10 minutes. Wow! And then there's other songs like uh, Bridges Over Borders actually used to be another song called Hands of Money and we completely morphed the song and just grabbed pieces out of it and created it. Um, old Emotions, I mean, every song is written differently. Old Emotions, Gord had a verse and a chorus, but he didn't have the link. So the middle section that goes da 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 that's my bass lick is what linked the two parts together because they wouldn't go together by themselves. <laughs> like, right. Why is this not matching? Why won't this work? <laughs> and then I, I wrote this little link piece and, and it, it worked. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it, it, the, al- the last album, Static and Transmission, didn't take as long as some albums we've done, like uh, Vertigo Tango album we did. We went there in March to uh, Rockfield Studios in Monmouth, Wales, and... Uh, we didn't get back till June, and it still wasn't finished mixing, and it was like September before it was ready to go, whereas Static and Transmission, um, by the time it was all said and done, it was about three or four months, like the recording was really quick. Wow. Yeah, so, but now again, the technology is that much easier, and if you have a producer engineer who knows all the new ways of recording, the old days of going to analog and spending you know, five hours on a drum sound. Right. <laughs> right. Well, thank goodness, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's really cost efficient. <laughs> right. Well, that's excellent. And and so what what's the driving force behind some of the lyrics? You know, for some people who might know uh, not know each of the songs, you know, backstory, you know, does a lot of it come from things that are happening in the group's life at the time? Does it come from events that are happening around the world? Uh, it, you know, bits and pieces of a culmination of a lot of things. Where do you feel that the real creativity behind writing lyrics or thinking about ideas that then get on the paper, that then get on the strings of the instruments? Well, what? sometimes the, the lyrics, um, I mean, Gord does most of the lyrics, but uh, the lyrics generally come at the same time that you're writing something. So you'll be on the guitar or on the bass or whatever, and it, it, it comes out of almost a mumble. <laughs> it forms a word. And it might be a chorus or it might be the beginning of a verse. And it's whatever the emotion that's feeling in the song is what's triggering um, quite often. And a lot of the times, too, there's at least a double analogy in the song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For example, escape with you. First you think, oh, you want to go escape with somebody, but it actually a, is a stalker song. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Gord wrote it, and he sung it, and it was in a different key, and I went, 
you think you should be singing that? <laughs> Let's bring all the crazies out. <laughs> and he's like, okay, maybe if you put it with more of an angelic voice to it, people might not get it immediately. <laughs> Let's tone and it down a little. Yeah, <laughs> tone it down a little bit, yes. Wow. And and so can you provide for us maybe some some testimonials uh because I'm sure you get a lot of fan mail, spoon mail. And uh so is there any one or a couple of stories of what people have expressed to you how your songs, your music, your band it kind of crystallizing with perhaps something that was happening for them uh at a certain time in their life what that did for them? Do you have any of those stories? Um I just, uh, if, I, if I can remember the quote right, um, back in uh, 82 when we opened for the police picnic, Bob Ezrin was there and uh, he put a quote in the Toronto Star that you need to listen to the spoons because you need to go get back to the sound in order to, to move forward. Um, that mm. they've got, you know, basically we've got the handle on how to recreate music after, you know, there's only seven notes, there's only so many patterns that any song could possibly be, so... It was a great compliment for him to give us that. Absolutely. And when you when you put it in terms like that, that's really quite amazing how many millions of songs have come out of those basic criteria. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So you have to be inventive. And there's a lot of songs that you can put back to back and you go, oh, it's just the same song. Because even though the lyrics are changed or there might be a slight change in the melody, the chords themselves, um, for example, uh, the Daft Punk, Punk song um, that, that's huge out there right. Well, was huge out there right now. Um, Get lucky. You can actually play "Town All Lies" over. Really? Yeah. Wow. And, and Gord remembered back when we did "Town All Lies." Niall Rogers said, "Oh, I really like the progression of how you put those chords together." And then when Daft Punk came out, <laughs> Gord's like, "Oh, I guess you found a way to use them." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know for sure, but. <laughs> Right, it's, it's kind of ironic, and it's in the same key, and you can put them back to back. <laughs> that is really interesting. And do you think this is kind of a, a little bit of a segue for where there's some potential issues or conflict, as you know, that has arisen as a result of people thinking there's been some plagiarism uh, because the, you know the chords are very similar. Um, I don't think it could get to that point because, um, it, it, um, first of all, we wouldn't challenge Niall. <laughs> No, no, not. I don't. Sorry, I I didn't ask that correctly. I don't mean with you specifically, and you're paralleling it with that song. But I mean in general, when you hear of things coming to light about one artist having issue, or there's some controversy related to another artist, and there's some crossover, and there's some speculation as to whether you know has there been some copycatting or mimicking or piggybacking off other people, uh, you know, under the category of plagiarism. You know, is this? I mean, it it does happen. Um, Right. Have to be very careful. Um, I know of a story that did happen and uh, they resolved it before it hit the radio I can't remember the name of the song it was a a song Katie Lang put out and then the Rolling Stones uh, one of their last albums they put out it was a very it was very similar and I guess one of the guys played it for one of their sons I don't know whether it was um, Mick Jagger or Keith Richards and they said what do you think of the song and they said well gee dad it's really good but have you heard Katie Lang's song and oh. they went, oh my God, you know, we've got oh. a problem here. So they actually contacted her and did a co-write uh, publishing so that it would never become a problem. Lovely. So they recognized that they didn't try and get away with anything, you know. No, that was handled. That was something easily. that was really, really close. 
Right. Like, I'm talking the melody, everything. Like, it was like, whoa, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we've had recently where someone actually took the romantic traffic intro, the doop um and used it in a um, some sort of rap thing. And it got sent to us by a fan from someone in the States. And, you know, we said, we told him, hey, this is plagiarism. He says, ah, go ahead, try and sue me. Really? Oh, yeah. And, you know, the record company looked at it, and it's just some kid, right? And it's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> do we want to, do we want to pursue that? No. But the fact is, is that it was, he actually lifted it right off the record. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And it's right, seriously obvious. Like, you, you go with this romantic traffic underneath that. But he's, you know, singing about really awful things. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think he just tarnished his own little career there, whatever was in the works. <laughs> yeah, I don't think oh, it went wow. anywhere. The record company's oh, been keeping an eye on it, and it's not doing anything, so they're not oh. going to pursue it, but... Right. Yeah. Well, you, you can't fix stupid, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyway, uh, moving right along. Um, so what do you think of music today? You know, like there's a lot of us who are, are diehard 80s fans and, you know, you know, we, you can't get away from retro. We love retro, whether it be clothing, whether it be music, whether it be anything. But, you know, how do you, what's your personal view? And you don't have to necessarily uh, name artists per se, but in terms of the genre of music that's coming out now, uh, looking at some of our uh, award ceremonies, um, categories, all of that, what's your take on that, Sandy? Well, I think there are some really good songwriters out there and, mm-hmm. and the modern today's writers, young writers. But there is a lot of artists that have gotten caught up in the um, studio looping, um, mm-hmm. you know, ask them to play the part. Mm-hmm. Can you actually physically play this? Right. And that's where, I mean, it's really obvious when you listen to a song that, that can't actually be played. It's going to have to be all backing tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, to me, is not an artist. You right. know, they might have a really good voice, but that's not songwriting. A song is something you can break down and can play it on a piano or acoustic guitar. Absolutely. You know, it has to be able to be broken down to the sim- simplicity of nothing. Right. And if it can, then it's a song. If it can't be, well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my opinion. Mm-hmm, absolutely, and it's a valid one, uh, and it's credible because it comes from somebody who's in the industry. So um, what do you think your take would be on the generation of people these days, like kids growing up with what music is today and perhaps not having historically what music has always been uh, prior to this generation? Do you think people are understanding what you just described and see it and are able to discern the difference? Um, I believe so to some degree because um, I mean you look at these artists now that are like ukulele bands and uh, you know uh, acoustic guitars or I mean for example Casey's 24 years of age and he has studied the genres of music from back in the 30s all the way up I mean he can do jazz he can do um, pop like the Beatles he can do the retro 80s and in fact when he first joined the band his parents were all excited because they were Spoons fans right oh really <laughs> yeah and there was a there was about a 10 year gap where it wasn't cool to be a keyboard player so you lost a generation of about 10 years of players that um, 
didn't key in on all the special sounds that you can get out of the keyboard um, that are really cool right. um, and be able to play them. Mm-hmm. But I think now there's a generation of kids that are super interested. Like I know a friend of mine runs a um, uh, like a teaching school for music after school, and he's got like 20 rooms and their books and their kids with acoustic guitars and bass and piano and ukulele and banjo. So there's a whole surge of young kids that are wanting to learn. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's to me, that that's encouraging that it's not going to get lost. I think the technology of the of what just happened over the last ten years is going to find its place in the industry, just like drum machines found their place in the in the industry. There was a right. fear back in the early '80s when drum machine came out that there would be no need for a drummer anymore. Mm-hmm. It just found its place within the realm. Right. So I, think I think that's what's going to eventually happen. Mm-hmm. So it'll always come back to the simplicity. Excellent. Excellent. And when's your book coming out, Sandy? Well, funny you say that because, you know, going through Gord's book and going through his journey and helping him go, well, no, that's not the time period that that happened. And, you know, correcting him, um, you know, it's his opinion. It's his life experience. So I'd like to do a counter jest to my experience. So I'm kind of, I'm. Good thinking about it. I'm letting Gord's book have its way and then I'll bring mine out and probably have a picture of his book and point and go, really? (laughs) (laughs) Spoon fan? How about gag me with a spoon? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, and you know what? It's, uh, you know, it just goes back to, uh, you know, even children being born into the same family, living in the same home. I mean, everybody's going to have a different experience or a recollection of having experienced the same thing. So it would be really lovely to take a look at what Gord has written about and contrast it with your your sentiments and yeah. your your recollections. So are you already, in, are you playing around with writing it? Have you already kind of been writing, journaling, jotting things down? Yeah, just jotting things down. Um, I want to reread Gord's book again for about the third time just to get his perspective a little stronger. Right. And then I might actually go for him to him because he's a very literal writer. He's quite good. Um, and, you know, that's not really my forte. He's always done really well with essays and so forth in school and mm-hmm. writing that way. So I'll probably have him go through it, but I just can't let him change how it is. Right. <laughs> you know? And, and so. what do you perceive in terms of contrasting it to Gord's style? What would you say alternatively is your style? Um, Free verse? Maybe a little bit, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And, and I, might, you, I might actually reference this book, too, on page such and such. Gord says this. I was just going to ask you that. I was, seriously, I was just going to ask you that. And I go, oh, seriously, Gord, is that really how it happened? That's not how I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to have both books to read at the same time and go back and forth. Well, there you go. There you go. And I mean, let's not forget, 80s was a pretty experimental time with a lot of things. (laughs) So, I mean, people are going to have naturally different recollections and, um, you know, it depends on uh, what sphere you're working within, right? Yeah. (laughs) So, that's amazing. I can't wait to hear uh, and read and see that come out, Sandy. I think it would be just as equally successful as Gord's book, and I would certainly love to buy it and come to one of your signings and <laughs> and, and plug you everywhere. I think that's amazing, and I think that, you know, it seems to me you, you see there's a calling for that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, fantastic. And, uh, 
And so do you have any words of wisdom or anything that you would wish based on your experiences? Um, you know, you can take it from the perspective perhaps of a woman being in a predominantly male band uh, or feeling at the beginning of your career, the inception of it, you had to prove yourself. Uh, is there anything you wish to say? And I'm not trying to make this a gender-specific uh, type conversation, but is there anything that you would wish to share, any words of wisdom you would wish to impart to anybody who's trying to find their niche in this world? Um, that, um, you know, you've got to not depend on other people to believe in your, yourself. You have to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you come in this world alone, you leave this world alone, and it's all up to you while you, you're here to do the best that you can with what you've got. And um, I was given uh, an amazing um, verse by an elder that told me, life is how you dream it, so dream a good dream. Oh, I love that. So that's what I want to send out to everyone. Well, and what's nice is that you've actually walked your talk, Sandy. So, you know, on behalf of everybody who's listening, we want to say thank you because just in ramping up the show, I mean, never mind what I think of you, uh, which is only positive, uh, nothing but admiration for you. But, um, you know, some of the feedback that I received as a result of ramping up my show all this week and even initially when we had decided on an actual date quite some time ago, you know, the incoming messages that I was receiving from people saying, you know, she's phenomenal. She really helped me with my career path. She really helped me endeavor to do my passions, to embrace my passions, to really fear, you know, to get out of my own way, uh, to not be concerned about even perhaps what my family was saying that wasn't necessarily supportive of what I was seeking out to do. So uh, I think sometimes people don't quite realize the impact that they have on other people. I mean, maybe the barometer for that is how many people buy Spoons tickets, how many sold out shows you have, how many CDs have been purchased, how much airtime you get. But these are the testimonials that I've been receiving just ramping up your show. You have made such a difference to so many people. Sandy, and I just want to share that with you. Oh, thank you. It's true. Don't cry. Okay. (laughs) Don't cry, because then that cuts into some of the airtime we want to reserve at the end when we wrap up to uh, have our outro music be Spoons music. So, Okay. um, So, can you just uh, share with me, in parting words, too, um, what some of, what you believe the legacy is that you will leave behind? What you choose to be your legacy that you choose to leave behind um that i love life Mm -hmm. i love people um i'm passionate about uh people the earth um very passionate about the earth and what we're doing to it um and that as long as i can i will always share excellent Excellent. I've got uh, Cameron, who I introduced to you when we went pre-live. He's in the sidebar, and he's saying he's got all the songs on his iPod. He said, Winnipeg loves spoons. Uh, yay! <laughs> yay! <laughs> Cameron, of course, being the network owner, everybody knows that. So, That's okay. But, um, so... I just, I can't wait for that book to come out, Sandy. I, I, you know, I know that you're, you're extremely busy. I know it's hard sometimes for somebody who loves life as you do and you have so many things that you're endeavoring to do and your schedule's probably quite off the hook. Um, but I really, I feel your enthusiasm when you talk about the book and I, I really hope that's something that comes out soon. No pressure. Okay. okay. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> Send me a little email. Is it coming? Is it coming? It's coming. Is it coming? You know what? I have no problem writing people to ask if you want me to know what you're asking me to do because I can write it. Where's the book? Did you say you're writing? 
Andy, come on. It's all about accountability. We went public here. 145 countries. Where is that damn book? <laughs> Already then. Yeah. And Gord's probably going on the other direction. Take your time, Sandy. Take your time. Because, <laughs> of course, it's going to counter some things in his book. But, you know, I just love the fact that you guys are so solid that way and that you trust each other and you have that kind of kindred spirit that you can comfortably do that and be that way. Honor your own truth, you know, speak your own truth and uh, and still be as solid uh, and as connected as what you are. I think that's a true testament to your relationship and uh, having withstood 30 years plus going still strong. That's amazing. Thank you. So, um, so do you want to just maybe uh, recap uh, or mention what hasn't already been mentioned perhaps? What's coming up? You mentioned a few things. What else is coming up? Um, well, yeah. things that are. Well, we've got a few things that right now. The festivals are actually just starting to book. So usually, they, by the end of March, uh, we hear what festivals we're going to be doing this summer. Um, but there's talk of us doing more uh, double billing with uh, Platinum Blonde. Um, Yay! And just recently, that double billing with the group Toronto, Hollywoods, and Sharon Alton. Excellent. Um, but could be good. Um, like I said, August 25th, we're at the CNE, uh, the Van Shell with um, Alan Fruglass Tiger. May 7th, we are playing for Ron- Ronald McDonald House at Classic Bowl in Mississauga. And it's um, they're putting in a huge PA system over these 60 lanes of bowling alleys. Awesome. It's a fundraiser for Ronald McDonald House, and it's us and Honeymoon Suite. Great. Yeah. And uh, then we have a few things where Gordon and I are presenting at the Wasega Film Festival, which is something new. I don't know quite what that is, but we're going. <laughs> we're booked. We're going. We're going up. <laughs> so those those are the immediates that are coming up. But um, if people want to check, um, spoonsmusic.com is our webpage. Um, we have all our listings of dates coming up, and they're getting posted shortly. And if anybody's interested in any of our uh, classic uh, material, CDs, vinyl, so forth, again, you can get it from that same website. Wonderful. Yeah. And so, Sandy, when people reach out, like if people want to talk to you, if people want to get advice from you, uh, they want to connect with you, are, are you responsible for your own correspondence or do you have somebody who's overseeing that on your behalf? Well, basically, it's Gordon myself. Gordon usually looks after the Facebook part of it, and I usually look after the web page and um, uh, email. But uh, if you want to get directly to me, the fastest is through spoonscanada at gmail.com. It's uh, an email that I'm constantly on with people. Fantastic. Well, that's lovely. And Sandy, I just, we've got eight minutes and we really want to get some outro spoons music going here. So in wrapping up our show, I just want to say thank you very much for your time. It was such a pleasure having met you last summer in Niagara Falls. And, uh, I applaud you for everything that you're doing that you continue to do. And I will ride your ass about that book because I want to read Sandy Horn's version of the spoons. Okay. And, uh, and I just want to say thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, you know, your music is epic. It's timeless. And, uh, you know, we hear your songs and it takes us right back to 
a lot of crystallizing moments in our youth and ongoing throughout our adulthood. Uh, so I want to say thank you for that. And I want to thank my listeners very much for once again joining me with my show, my weekly Friday show, Carpe Diem. I go live every Friday, 11 to 4 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on the Contact Talk Radio Network. If you have any show topic ideas or you would wish to perhaps appear as a guest on my show, you can certainly reach me through my website, lisamcdonaldauthor.com, McDonald spell M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D, or lisamcdonald13 at gmail.com. So I want to wish everybody a phenomenal, safe weekend. Sandy will stay in touch, get connected. I'd love to come see you play again. Love to board and uh, yourself and your family. And uh, so thank you very much. Dundas, Ontario, saying goodbye. Love and gratitude to everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
listening to Carpe Diem with your host, Lisa McDonald. For more information, please go to Lisa's website at lisamcdonaldauthor.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.